We implemented many ideal processes. The world's most practiced method for project management. Phil has been um, a catalyst in my career. Hundreds of thousands of people with a Prince 2 qualification. I've seen ITIL help organizations be more successful. The Axelos Podcast, bringing best practice directly to you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Axelos Global Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Akshayanan, and with me is an absolutely fabulous panel, possibly one of the best we've ever put together. Uh, we're going to be talking about enterprise service management, which seems to be uh, a topic on the minds of a lot of uh, service management professionals today. And joining me are three people who know a lot about this topic, and I am going to go uh, west to east. So the westernmost person that we have on um, is no stranger to the Axelos podcast. He joined us previously to talk about trends in ITSM tooling. And that is none other than Jay Srinivasan, who is the CEO of a service desk startup based out of San Francisco uh, called AtSpoke. Uh, I believe it's atspoke.com, if I'm not mistaken, Jay. That's right. Excellent. And moving slightly eastwards from there, uh, across the Atlantic. Uh, I think the, the next easternmost person is probably Ian Aitchison, who is a former, um, sorry, who is a current IT leader, formerly working for a, a diverse uh, set of companies such as uh, Ivanti, Landesk, uh, and before that, um, uh, com a company called Avocent as well. Uh, Ian very recently became the VP of product management at NextThink, which is a company that manages employee engagement and employee experience uh, measurement and, solu and solutions therein. So, um, you know, on behalf of everyone listening, congratulations on the on the recent uh, gig, Ian. Thank you. And that was uh, very well described. Thank you. <laughs> and last but certainly not least is uh, the wonderful Andrea Kiss. Um, Andrea uh, and I met through the um, ITSMF uh, UK con and other sort of conferences within Europe. And she's been she's one of the most uh, one of those rare people, I think, who are incredibly passionate about service management and everything that we do in service management, whether that's about processes or solutions or people or, uh, uh, you know, advancing the state of the community. And it's genuinely a pleasure to know her. Um, she's been a consultant for many, many years and is currently with uh, Devo team as a, excuse me, as a principal consultant. Um, and she's been working a lot on a lot on the enterprise service management solutions for her clients as well. So Andrea, welcome to the podcast as well. I'm so glad you could join us. Thanks, Akshay. Lovely to be here. I'm honored. So I think it would be good to sort of start off by discussing what we mean by the term enterprise service management, because I feel like there is a fair amount of confusion or diverse set of opinions on what enterprise service management is. Um, so Andrea, I think you're really close to your clients and you see this play out day to day. So how do you describe enterprise service management, ESM, to your clients? So first of all, what I do is uh, I never mention ITSM. <laughs> I think uh, there is a, a lot of conversation in the industry where people say, well, ESM is nothing else, just the application of ITSM in enterprise areas. Um, I, I never mention that. Uh, because when you work with enterprise uh, teams, and I'm talking about, uh, uh, you know, like classically back office support teams, like a finance, procurement, HR, the, the other support functions than IT, um, 
if you would to tell them that uh, you are, um, you know, you want to share them with some best practices done by IT, I think they would run off the hill. So normally when I talk about enterprise service management, I just tell them that we have to think about it as a strategic approach, which is going to improve of how you operate and how are you able to collaboratively deliver outcomes for your end users. And I also mentioned that there are some good service management principles and best practices and technologies out there which will support this transformation because then it will help them to become more effective, to respond better, to become more efficient, and also to drive their digital transformation. Interesting. There's there's quite a bit to unpack there, which no doubt we will uh, through the course of this podcast episode. Um, Ian, um, let, let me come to you first. Uh, do you uh, agree with Andrea? Disagree? Somewhat agree? Hmm. Have a different take altogether? What's what's your perspective? Yeah, mostly agree, actually. And uh, I like that point about not starting with IT. Um, I'm on board with that one, too, I think. I'd, I'd start with um, the statement that IT or HR or finance or facilities, they all serve the enterprise. Uh, that it, we shouldn't uh, in some way carve out IT as different in terms of that function. IT has a much more mature service management understanding, but it's it's another function just like the others. So you might say it's all enterprise service management, but actually that's not what people say. What they say is service management outside of IT, let's call that ESM. So that mm-hmm. that terminology kind of applies. I would also very much support Andrea's point there that um, – when you take service management outside of IT and you put it in the workplace in other parts of a business, you are enabling working differently, which is uh, changing the way the business functions, which supports a digital transformation strategy. So this is the way people work to achieve a strategic business goal. Okay. I, I want to come back to that um, uh, in, in a moment, Ian, because I know you and I have had some back and forths on LinkedIn, especially about this this very topic. Um, Jay, as as uh, our, our um, American guest, uh, are things uh, viewed differently um, across the pond? Um, no, they're not. I think it's uh, what Andrea and Ian said uh, is, is pretty much aligned with I think how we view IT, uh, how we view ESM as well. Uh, agree with all of the points, right? It's uh, the sort of canonical, uh, sort of uh, the the one-liner elevator pitch for ESM is it's ITSM applied to non-IT functions in the enterprise. And so I think uh, at a high level, so far I'm in full agreement. We should talk about what what that means, what principles you want to take over, et cetera. But in general, yeah, I think we're all on the same page on the definition. Okay, I. I want to express a little bit of skepticism, and I and I appreciate that this is going to sound really odd coming from the product ambassador of ITIL, the, the, you know, uh, the, the the champion of service management in you know from Axelos. Um, and and I appreciate uh, what I'm going to say is very cynical. Look, I'm a big believer in service management, whether that service management applied to IT, ITSM, service management applied to uh, other business functions, ESM, service management applied to uh, services offered to a paying public or, a, or, or an external uh, set of stakeholders, you know, business services, whatever it might be. I'm, I'm very passionate about service management. I believe it's a thing. But at a tactical or operational level, 
one of the one of the things I'm I'm very cynical about is after 30 years of talking about service management in IT or ITSM, very few. Uh, it's only a small subset of people who seem to grok what services are and what service management is, mm. and you know, I I I think if we were to if we were to talk about enterprise workflow management. I think we have a better chance of making other people understand what it is we're talking about. We're talking about how work flows across the organization, how values created across the organization. Now, that could be an enabler of wider service thinking, and I would love to see it as an enabler of wider service thinking. But, you know, I, I mean, back when we used to go to conferences, I, I remember Paul Wilkinson had this favorite trick whenever I was in the room. Um, he'd ask the audience, how many of you have got an ITIL certification, right? These are all ITSM conferences. So how many people had an ITSM certification, ITIL certification? Nearly everyone puts their hands up. And uh, he then says, okay, how many of you can tell me the definition of a service or what a service is? Even if it's not the pure definition, what is a service? usually apart from the trainers and the consultants, not many people could. And this is after, what, 30 years of ITIL, right? 30 years of talking about IT service management. So I am somewhat skeptical that other business functions who have traditionally not thought about themselves as service intermediaries to the rest of the organization will come along and sort of grok this as quickly as the market seems to be pushing them to. Um, Ian, I'm going to jump in if you don't mind, Jay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, please, please. yeah so uh, I think that's really interesting what you're saying, actually. I think um, we should not expect uh, other parts of an organization to think about services to the level of maturity and complexity that IT and ITIL has developed. Uh, however, I think if you, and I think Andy may have a slightly different angle on this, but I think if you take a core set of capabilities that are well-defined in service management, well-proven, and you roll them out uh, and use them outside of IT, they're incredibly powerful. They've been proven baked, uh, are well used, well established, just to the simple level of uh, incident, request, service level, knowledge, at a technology level, self-service, requesting from a request catalog of the things you need from a department. You don't need to go into full service definition and complexity and availability and capacity and all of these pieces, but you get so much value bringing that core to every other part of the business. It does enhance how they work. And I'll stop talking there. Okay. And I, I, I know Andy's been... Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'll go to Andy first, and then I'll come to you, Jay. I promise. All right. Sounds good. Sorry, sorry, Jay. Jumping in here. Um, uh, I, I, I remember Paul doing that on conferences, and I think he's going to continue doing it until somebody will give him a satisfactory answer. Um, in my opinion, uh, uh, in ITSM circles, uh, people became such purists that they spent too much time arguing over the definition of a service that yeah. they did not pay attention to actually realizing that it, it does not matter what is the definition. So I'll give you an example. I'm working with a client at the moment and, and I'm working with their enterprise uh, 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 teams uh, minus the IT team, which we are not talking about at the moment. Um, and 
when we started to work with them, we didn't even mention ESM to them at all. Uh, we were just talking about to say, you're going to have a new tool, which all of you can use together, right? A, a well-known brand. And we need to define uh, how you're going to have your service requests configured into requestable forms for an end user on the portal. The pushback was, we don't have services. We have business processes, and that goes back to your workflow conversation, enterprise workflow. We have business processes, and that's what we have. But then uh, to see how the, the, the mindset the, uh, you know, changed during the, the, the project by having conversations with people sitting in a procurement team, for example, or a finance team who say we don't have uh, services, but then in their own admission, they receive up to 200 or more emails a week with various type of requests uh, asking for help. Um, and then we started to go back to almost uh, to, to this thinking to say, what is it that you do? Take me through or what is it that you do? Well, I respond to four different type of emails requesting such and such. Okay, then this is your service. You as a team, you are providing this uh, set of activities, which is your service within a time frame. And the outcome is that the end user will be able to go away and, and carry on with their work. You know, whether they are somebody who wants to set up a new vendor in the system because they have a new contract uh, with the factory, you know, in the factory. We are talking about people in the enterprise who require help and support with a, a um, action or a set of activities or something. Uh, I don't care what is the definition of the service. I think we more care about it that what is it that being asked from teams who are providing something, supporting, helping, doing the activities and the actions, and the outcome is that the person who asked for that something, aka service, will be able to get on with their work. Um, so I, I never been a purist and I think it's well known, uh, um, you know, I really don't care what is the definition of the service. It can be anything, but I think we go back to, to really, uh, and you mentioned quickly the enterprise workflows. I always uh, call it out. Let's not think of workflow terms. And this is something we can come back to when I finally let Jay speak, because I can see him getting excited on this topic. Um, <laughs> I want to throw into the conversation and we can we can touch upon it in a in a couple of moments. What if we move away from workflows, services and everything and think of the customer journeys? Jay, over to you. Yeah, no, I again completely agree with uh, uh, Ian and, and Andrea here and uh, sort of strongly uh, disagree with Akshay's point. Uh, he made a statement. Uh, the non IT functions don't think of themselves as service functions or something of that sort. They actually do quite seriously, like as far as they're concerned, their job is to provide services, knowledge and support to their colleagues. And I'd say one of the biggest challenges in whether you want to call it enterprise service management, whatever, I think one of the biggest challenges as I'm a relative newcomer to this space, I've been in this space for five years and at Spoke, our service desk, one of our key differentiators is we've built it for not just IT, we've built it for every team in the company. The average at spoke customer uses us across seven teams in their company. And the biggest, one of the biggest selling points to non-IT teams is guess what? We're not going to use all those janky ITIL and ITSM terminology. You don't need to know what that is. Somebody in your organization needs help. Somebody needs a workflow. Somebody needs a service. Somebody needs some knowledge. And yes, you don't need to know what a CMDB is, but here's a list of common things that you do over and over again. And whether we call it a CMDB or not, 
they get the same benefit from it. So if anything, every function beyond IT needs to provide some sort of, needs some sort of service management tool and to, to most vendors detriment, they're trying to force fit IT terminology into the non-IT landscape within companies, which is not great. Fair enough. So in, in, in your experience, uh, I'll stick with you, Jay, for, for a moment, because, you know, you talked about non-IT teams and uh, seeing themselves as service, uh, as service teams and so on. Do you see that this concept that we're loosely terming, uh, terming ESM, do you see this concept more suited to certain business functions, certain types of teams, and maybe less to certain teams? Yeah, for sure. And I, I, in fact, I was, uh, I pulled some statistics from our customer base for this. So again, uh, at spoke is a service desk that can be used by multiple teams in the organization at once. And so what we're able to, and we also typically enter through it, but then we spread extremely well. And so what I did was I went and did a histogram of all of the teams across all of our customers. And as you'd imagine, it is the, the most common, but it's not like an order of magnitude more common. It's probably like two X as much as everybody else. After that, you have ops teams, uh, office management facilities, uh, you have HR teams, but, and those are again, the obvious ones, right? Office management. So IT is the leader, then it's op ops teams, which is facilities and office management, then it's HR. But after that, here's the interesting stuff. It's things like marketing. Marketing provides services for a part of what marketing does within an organization is provide services to other teams in the company. So we have marketing teams, we have sales operations teams. These are the folks that are updating Salesforce, that are sending out the contracts, the invoices. We have finance teams, we have data science teams. Um, all of these teams are providing services in some form or other to their colleagues and they all use a system like AdSpoke. So, so uh, I guess the second part of that question then, are you seeing a sort of, uh, uh, a um, what's the term I'm looking for? A flaw uh, in terms of the, the size of the company, uh, after which you know the sort of ESM concepts. Uh, you know the the scale of scope, the scale of operations requires that sort of centralized um, you know bureaucracy, a little bit of standardization or structural uh, or structure and so on. Yeah, uh, among our customers, it's typically. Uh, IT, and we serve SMB mid-market and enterprise. Uh, among our customers, IT services are typically standardized at the 100-person mark, but HR services are probably standardized closer to the 500 or 750-person mark. But uh, beyond that, it, it, it's the same. Now, we've had, we've had customers that are 10, 20,000 people that have been managing. We had one customer that recently started with us, 50,000 employees. HR was managing all their requests by email. And that is insane to think when you have 50,000 people, there's an email inbox that's being used to manage all the requests. And so uh, the, we typically see it relevant in the 500,000 person mark beyond IT. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Ian, what's been your um, experience in terms of, um, you know, what business functions you've typically seen um, applying sort of service management principles or techniques or tooling, uh, you know, outside of IT? Yeah, my background has been at slightly larger scale, I think, perhaps than Jay's in terms of uh, organization size would be in the sort of 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 employee. And you would see that across all of them. You would see that across all um, 
universities adopt those ideas really quickly. They really love those ideas. Uh, but in in all of that scale, um, it's very. It was always very common. It's it's and, and let's be honest. What we're talking about before we invented terms like ESM, that was there. I'm stroking my long grey beard. That was there in the industry uh, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, people were using uh, evolving help desk tools that became service desk tools. They were using them outside of IT even then. So it's not an unusual idea, but. What's happened is I think there's greater demand for organizations to work more efficiently than there ever has been. And service management tools enable the collaboration and consistency of the way work gets done across a business. I I, 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 I agree with you because I remember working with, you know, back in the day, mail rooms that had like a, a sort of a ticketing type system to log uh, requests, you know, parcel requests, you know, uh, as they were being sent out so they could track how quickly they were being picked up, how quickly they were being dispatched, etc. And I suppose part of my cynicism around this whole space, and I apologize to our, our listeners, I'm, I'm not negative on this topic, right? I'm very, very passionate to make sure this succeeds. <laughs> but the, some, of, some of the trends I see is very problematic. And one of the things that I suppose has given rise to this skepticism is that I saw ESM being pushed primarily by tool vendors, uh, you know, going back five, seven years, not necessarily as a body of practice that emerged from practitioners who were trying to figure out how to solve these problems. So it almost felt like it's it's a hammer going around in search of a nail. Uh, there's there's an ITIL, but there isn't an equivalent without IT in front of it. I would say there urgently needs to be. There's an opportunity. But at the moment, the only body of work that we'd refer to starts with IT. Uh, sure. Andrea's gesturing wildly. <laughs> Good, Andrea. So... You know, just to, just to thinking about you know like the the first question, and then I then I make a comment about this whole ITIL and everything as well. Um, the organisations I mainly see that, that could benefit from and and again from the approach of enterprise service management um, is GBS organisations. You know, organisations who are like uh, you know structuring themselves or having a a recognised global business service. Um, um, you know, like the classic shared services organisation within the enterprise. Um, Interestingly, what I'm also finding, uh, some of these organizations, uh, and, and, you know, may contain IT as part of this uh, shared services um, GBS organization. Uh, others look at it as IT and them, <laughs> you know, like separately. And even more interestingly, uh, it also has some, um, it's reminiscent uh, to, to, you know, some of the GBS operating models are reminiscent of the, the old SIAM models. You know, there are GBS organizations who outsource some of their enterprise functions, but to keep in-house other enterprise functions. And then as a result, what happens, they could end up being very disjointed while all in all, they are delivering services for their employees, the enterprise um end users. And I do think that they could benefit from enterprise service management, but uh, and they can benefit hugely from enterprise service management because it could bring them a 
a form of structure, a better governance uh, of understanding of how they can follow standards when it comes to to uh, providing those services and not just work left and right, you know, in, in a disjointed disjointed way. But also, I firmly believe that they could learn the, from the lessons we had and what I say we, the, the IT service management uh, industry had, um, you know, with the different service integration models, with the tower models, with the hybrid models, outsource models, and everything. Lots of enterprise organizations started to, to structure themselves reminiscent of this. Um, the other thing I'm seeing is that any organization which has a, um, a requirement to provide certain, um, you know, like, services or, or processes to anybody within that enterprise. They don't have to have a structured shared services or GBS organization. They will benefit from it. And, and to touch upon this point around the tool vendors, yes, my big pain point is, and, and I would say like pet peeve or, or favorite hate at the moment, <laughs> I shouldn't say hate really, that Tool vendors, and 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 you know, it's you know, we all know the the, the various brands because everybody is now uh, showcasing their ESM capabilities. They try to sell ESM as the technology, as the tooling. And I always call out that ESM is not a tool. ESM is not the technology. Technology is a vital part of it because in order to effectively uh, practice. ESM and and have the right approach. You would have to. You need the right technology. Uh, without it, it wouldn't work. And again, just you know, like thinking of all the points raised here, um, we talked a lot about it. You know, who who is next? Um, obviously, HR is what I have seen as being one of the first ones of um, um, uh, you know highlighted again because the, the technology vendors having strong HR service management modules and capabilities. But that is simply coming out from the fact that HR was already using some solutions and, and there are some brands out there like Dovetail, for example, some solutions which provided them with this issue or ticketing type of approach. So it was easier for them to, to get on it. But that is still the technology. And let's not forget the technology is not the process. The technology is not the approach. The technology is not the behavior and the mindset. And I think ESM, we need to understand that enterprise service management is encompassing it all. It's about understanding how do we all work together, what standards, what um, governance and, and processes we have together to, to support productivity, right? The, the, the enterprise customer, aka employee productivity. And also to understand what does it mean that we want to achieve good customer experiences, that we want to showcase that uh, the enterprise can trust us if they turn to me and I'm, you know, wherever I am sitting, doesn't matter which team I am. If I'm an employee and I have an issue with my payroll, if I need to request five additional days or I need to go on maternity leave or I need to, uh, as part of my daily job, send out a, a, a vendor invoice, I can trust the teams to whom I'm turning to that they will help me with that uh, query of mine, and I will get, I will be notified when and how long will this take to 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 be done, and I will be fully aware, you know, who I can request help from and how long will it take to be sorted. That's true. Uh, tool is not a replacement for trust. Uh, Jane, let me uh, just quickly come to you. I think uh, we'll, we'll take a short break in a moment uh, for our sort of shout out segment, but I do want to touch upon, you know, why are organizations investing in ESM? What what is the value add that they feel that 
you know an ASM strategy is going to is going to bring to them. Um, and so, as you speak with your with your customers and, and prospects, what are the some of the themes that are that are coming out? Yeah. So, first of all, I completely agree with Andrea that um, a tool does not replace a process or a sort of philosophy of customer service. Um, and uh, it's uh, and and so that's that's incredibly important. Um, so look, at the end of the day, when we talk to our customers, uh, they don't know about ESM. Again, we tend to, I guess, operate with smaller customers than maybe what Ian and Andrea typically work with. Um, they don't know what ESM is. They don't know what ITSM is, et cetera. What they know is they have a desire to serve their, their customers or the employees within an organization. They have a desire to serve their customers. They know that their customers are looking for knowledge, that they're looking for services, and they require accountability. When a request is made, they want to make sure that someone is working on it. Uh, they'll respond to them in a timely manner and they'll get what they need. And they need to do this in a situation where everything is fragmented, teams are fragmented, tools are fragmented, and budgets are constrained. So there's this. Uh, so what they come to us with is they say, look, we're providing services to our customers. But so as a tool vendor, the problem that I'm solving for these folks is they already have a desire to serve their customers well. They're not able to keep up because of fragmentation, because of budgets, because of tool constraints. And we try to solve that problem for them. So at the end of the day, how do they most, how do you get people the information they need to get their jobs done? And each service function feels the need to do this. And when they're not able to do it with their tools on hand, they come to a vendor like AdSpoke. And Interesting. Yeah, go ahead, very, Andrea. Just very quickly to add to this. Um, uh, one of the other things I'm seeing is organizations who are, you know, enterprise support services. Um, you know, we mentioned the, the, the you know, procurement, finance, HR as being the, the classic ones. Um, quite a lot of times what I have witnessed is the conversation starts with, with the technology. But I do think we have a responsibility to highlight that ESM is not the technology. However, how the technology can benefit them. And what does that mean? That means that when you start talking to them about having a common platform where they can be more efficient, where they can track better all the queries coming in, um, it will open the avenues. And, and, and for me, with my current client, for example, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. The more they learn about the capabilities of the technology, the more they start to think about adjusting and, and how to change and transform their ways of working. So they start talking about it. Wait a second. We always had a dependency. Now I will be able to, to um, track that dependency I have on another team or another service line. And can the technology support it? Yes, of course. But, but the technology uh, functions and capabilities, opening up conversations about transformation, about better ways of working. Um, we don't mention ITIL, we don't mention sure. uh, ITSM or, or, or anything. But when I talk with them about, for example, um, how they can collaborate better, what does it mean to, to uh, the importance of differentiating between a response or a resolution SLA? What, do, what would that mean, um, you know, throwing into a pot like an OLA term, which again, you know, comes from ITIL. However, right. I don't say this is an ITIL term. I just say to them, think about having a metric which will assure you that the difference between your time's commitment 
or your SLAs can be agreed on how you can together work, you know, work together and, and sure. carry on. And, and they, they love this. And, and, and I really like that part of, of the conversations of how it, it's chicken and egg, really. What, is it the transform? Is the technology which drives ESM conversations, or is it the uh, ESM approach of uh, wanting to all work end to end and delivering workflows, which which starts the conversation? I think it doesn't matter really, as long as you come to the same conclusion, which is we now have a, the right technology in place, which can support us working better together, understanding all our contribution to one end goal and one outcome. So let me let me come to Ian before we take the the break for the sh uh, shout out because this is now coming back to the conversation that Ian and I had via several comments on LinkedIn uh, a couple of months ago because I put forth the hypothesis that a digital for me a digital transformation is a change to a business model first and foremost it's technology yeah. enables the change of the business model but if you think of a business model from a perspective of let's say something like the business model canvas you're changing where your revenues might be coming from you're changing your cost structure or you might be changing which suppliers uh, and partners you have key relationships with you're changing the skills and competencies that you need to have in order to deliver that business model a change to that business model, a digital transformation, can trigger the needs to work in new or different ways, yes. which in turn, ESM can be a solution that solves that. But ESM by itself is a change to an operating model, not a business model, uh, because you're changing the way in which work is being carried out, not necessarily changing the where your revenues are coming from, yes. your the, the, your cost structures, et cetera. So, I mean, there may be some sort of uh, uh, impacts there, but you're not changing the business model. So ESM by itself is not a driver for digital transformation, and we shouldn't be conflating those two. That was the, that was the hypothesis I, I laid out in the comments, and I think Ian... I'm not sure if you agree with me on that, to be honest. I, but... I do, but I think you're missing one piece. Um, I think we're, we're kind of leading towards the same thing. Firstly, I don't believe ESM drives digital transformation. Uh, I think there are two parts to what we call digital transformation. You just described the first one. Think of it as the top layer. I call it strategic digital transformation. That's pivoting a business to a new business model. Right? It's changing what the business's purpose is or how it works or how it transacts, moving from bricks and mortar to online and so on. There's something below that that I've invented called operational digital transformation, which is the way people work to support that change in the business direction. You can no longer work the old way. HR can no longer handle a business through email because the business has changed. We're too fast. We can't wait. We can't screw up. We've got to do it right and we've got to do it quickly. And everybody's working from home. Got to do it consistently. So you've got operational digital transformation. And how you achieve that is by rolling out a common platform that gives you workflow and self-service and a service mindset, which we call enterprise service management. And where does it come from? Well, we've proven it, baked it, made it glorious in IT. We know it works and we got the technology. So they all support your strategic digital transformation direction. How about that? Does that work? Fair enough. I mean, you know, there's there's no definitive answer in, in our space. You know, that's both the, the blessing and the curse the of, of in this industry. Uh, Andrea, uh, very quickly before we go into the break. 
Just just a very quick comment on this one. Um, if you change your business model, you change your funding, but you don't change anything else, it's like trying to move a brand new furniture uh, which won't fit into your old house, or even worse, you're just trying to recreate a better version of the past uh, by channeling uh, funding from one place to another in a different way. That would not give you a proper full digital transformation. And I completely agree with Ian. It's time to recognize the operational digital transformation. And that's where the whole automation and other discussions can come in and exciting technologies and the changing of the business directive and a business model. But one without the other wouldn't be successful. Interesting. All right. Uh, when we come we come back after the break, we let's talk about um, risks that we see to ESM, and then we'll do a round robin of some tips to help our listeners who are embarking on an ESM project uh, to succeed. So join us after the break. Hi everyone, Akshay here again. Uh, this episode shout out goes to Kenneth Gonzalez or Ken Gon. Uh, I met Ken a few years ago uh, through the conference circuit, but also through uh, some mutual friends on social media, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and so on. Uh, and we gradually got to know each other uh, on, on a professional basis. And then uh, we became good friends and, and we've stayed in touch uh, over the years. She has a lot of uh, things in common uh, with a number of our practitioners. Uh, for myself, I mean, he and I are both discuss rock and metal on a regular basis when we're not discussing IT service management. Uh, in his professional life, Ken has been uh, a, a developer. He's been a leader of software development teams. Uh, he's been uh, an advisor, a consultant, uh, bridging uh, the domains of both software development and service management. So without any further ado, uh, let's hear from Ken himself. So I've been uh, working in the generally the area what I would call service management for uh, about the last 20 years in earnest. I've been in the technology industry probably, I guess, depending on when you count your start, because uh, that, you know, it's probably <laughs> that something that's pretty consistent uh, for most people, you know, like, when did you get started? Well, when did you touch your first PC? I don't know. Um, but I would say probably about 35 years total. And the uh, interesting piece is I did not get started working in service management or operations, quite to the, quite to the opposite end of the, of the spectrum. I actually got started in telecommunications and I found that I was really good at doing things related to programming and actually shifted my way into doing software development and specifically object-oriented programming. So I've worked on with pro uh, programming languages like C, C++, Java, uh, you, you name it. If it was popular back in the day, then, you know, I did either a little bit of it or a lot of it and was responsible for a uh, fairly significant software organization as a director of product development. So I had both product management as well as product development responsibility and teams of programmers and people to work with me. And it was quite by accident that I ended up getting into the domain of service management. And it really was real, more around my aesthetic for being able to actually build things because I never found that I was particularly just all about software development. I really treated it holistically. So my service desk manager at the time when I was developing the commercial product 
was one of the key members of my product team because I needed to know what my customers were reporting so that I could do a better job of either tuning the quality or ensuring that the features that we were building into the product actually were meeting the need. So for, for me, it was just a natural extension of being able to include the other roles and the other functions that were required in order to be able to deliver good stuff to people that was useful. And that extended out into the people that worked in the NOC, uh, people that managed our storage, people that managed the, the, the intermediate tier servers with all the business functionality and logic to be able to help me drive the actual user interface components that my end customers actually ended up using. So it was a bit of a circuitous route, but I, I suddenly found that all of a sudden I'd stopped doing development and had started doing service management in earnest. I think some of the highlights, um, the, the thing I've really taken uh, great pride and pleasure in is the, I, I love challenges. And when somebody tells me something can't be done, like you can't build that, that'll never work. Just make me a demo. And I actually had the, the VP that I was reporting to at the time actually tell me this. And I'm thinking of one specific product that we built. And he's like, yeah, it's never been done. Don't worry about it. Just mock something up and we'll be good. And I got my development team together and all my folks, and we built out a full lab to have the right infrastructure to deliver this product. And we came up with a technical architecture that was actually the first of its kind to run on this anorexic piece of equipment that would be installed in somebody's homes. So the, the, the ability to work on something that, oh, that can't be done. That I take as a challenge, and I, I really like those kinds of things. The um, I think that part of the part of the other challenge that's not necessarily the nice part is uh, I find myself when when I get into something, I really get into it. <laughs> I throw everything I've got into it, and uh, work life balance is a bit of a misnomer. Because it's really more, I, I, I'm, I don't consider my work work. I actually consider it more fun than anything else. So to be able to just be fully immersed in it and enjoy it, enjoy the people I work with, uh, get a sense of satisfaction from what we end up doing together, that, that lights me up. So there's probably a lot of times when, especially looking back on previous relationships and things like this, where, you know, I probably should have been more attentive and paid more attention to things outside of the work domain. But I was just having so much fun. I wanted to continue doing it. And it, you know, you got to take care of yourself. And I've, I've learned, especially as I've gotten older, that it really is important that we take care of ourselves. Uh, Self-care is not optional. It's something we need to do, especially if you believe you're going to last and you know be doing what you love for a long time to come. I think if I were to uh, give myself some advices, number one, don't be so idealistic because <laughs> a lot of the decisions I made in uh, earlier phases of my life were, you know, well, I don't agree with this and I don't like the way this is going, so I'm just going to leave. And that may not have been the best decision for me. Um, it might have seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, but that's, uh, you know, 
hindsight being 2020 and all that, uh, you, you can't necessarily tell. So don't be so quick to pull the trigger on trying to bail from something if you're actually really uh, enjoying what you're doing. Now, if you do have a legitimate issue, don't sit in the in the muck and just try and stick it out because you're scared to do something else or it's just inconvenient. You're never going to find a convenient time to make a change. So if it if it really is intolerable, then go ahead and make the change. You'll sort it out. There's always a need for talented people and trying to live with something that's just unappealing relationally or your employment or otherwise. It, it just doesn't work. It's it takes more life than it actually gives. As far as managers, um, one of the things I think that's actually been a key piece of my success has been that I build great teams. And I think that building a great team is the best thing a manager can do. And my general guidance has been, I look for people that are passionate, that are willing to be full team members, not just come in and be a prima donna, but you know are, are willing to give everything they've got and do that in the context of being part of the team. And then the third thing is uh, holding people accountable and being able to protect them from uh, things that come from outside of your organization. Keep them focused, give them room to run, have the trust in them to figure out creative solutions to questions, problems, issues, design approaches, but not be overly prescriptive or, well, that isn't the way that I do it, so we're not going to do that. No, I I never wanted to do that. I, I really trusted and so appreciated the work that my people did. And I always made sure that I celebrate it's our accomplishment, but it's really their their hard work. Sure, I might actually provide guidance and say, hey, do do a little bit of this. Show me something that looks like this. But then I'm going to turn them loose to run and let them actually do what they were hired to do. And that it can be tough at times because you really if you enjoy doing that kind of work, you want to get your hands dirty. You want to be in the middle of it. But that doesn't actually bolster their confidence or have them feel that, you know what? Ken actually trusts me to do the right thing. So let's go do the right thing. And it's it's that kind of ability to relate and interact that really builds the level of trust and gives your teams the springboard to be able to do really great stuff and come up with solutions that nobody could have expected coming out of the gate. I recently restarted my public uh, my public blog slant website, uh, and that's www.kennethgonzalez.com. Um, there's a, there's an, a, an email form on there where they can just, hey, you want to talk with me? Put your name, email, couple words about what you want to talk about. And uh, to the maximum extent practical, I'll get back with anybody that submits as soon as possible. And uh, I welcome the opportunity to interact with people. I'm gradually kind of rebooting my social media presence. Uh, I've been pretty much uh, full full tilt boogie with paying work. Um, 
but I'm kind of restructuring things so that I'm having more time to be reflective, think about things that I want to position for, you know, the, the rest of the world to consume to kind of get a sense of who I am and what I'm about. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk with you and, and share some of the answers to these questions because it, it really is part of uh, I'm at a phase in my career where I'm really interested in contributing, not necessarily having it be all about me, but how is it can I contribute my experience to others and help them grow and develop and, and do good things. Hey, so this is Akshay again. I hope you uh, enjoyed that. And now let's get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right. So um, we've talked a lot about what ESM is and, you know, what sort of departments are getting the traction. But at the same time, you know, nothing is without risk. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, the barriers to success that we're seeing. And Jay, maybe I'll start with you again on this one, if you don't mind. Um, as you're, you're talking to your cl uh, customers and you're seeing their rollouts progress, what are some of the typical uh, risks or stumbling blocks that you, you encounter? So... I'd say um, three. The, the 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 first one is I think what uh, Andrea especially has already mentioned multiple times, which is again I'm a vendor, I'm a tool vendor, so there's no point in setting up a tool if you don't if you're not ready to actually adopt the tool and adopt a process. And so that's the first risk, right? Buying a tool for the sake of a tool when you're not going to also put in place your processes around enterprise service management is the first risk. So putting the cart before the horse and getting a tool before you are ready to support that tool is ready to use that tool is risk number one. Risk number two has to do with the relationship between IT and the other functions in a company. And I don't think there's a right answer here. Every organization is a little bit different, but there are some organizations where IT wants to have control over the tooling that every team in the company uses. Now, I, I would argue that that's gonna be a losing battle. There's gonna just, shadow IT is a reality. There's gonna be more fragmentation, but you know what? If IT insists on it, that's fine. Just make sure that the support functions are aligned with that. Our least successful implementations are when HR goes and does something, but IT comes in later and says, hey, this makes no sense. And so risk, I don't know, the risk here is internal alignment in, in terms of the role of IT in supporting other teams in the company is the second one. Uh, the third one is trying to do too much. Um, most of these, uh, when you give them, again, uh, taking the tool vendor's perspective, at Spoke is a very powerful service desk. IT teams tend to use it quite heavily. When I take at Spoke to an HR team or a marketing team, you don't necessarily need to go do every single thing that IT is doing on day one. And so trying to bite off a little bit too much versus nailing the core business services, business workflows and building from there is the third risk that I would call out. Could, could I just ask a little bit about the second one you mentioned? Because it, it sort of sounds like, you know, something that we see on the software development versus architecture type of uh, tension, which is this tension between um, centralized uh, record keeping or centralized architecture for record keeping, compliance, auditability concerns, et cetera, versus, you know, self-empowering development teams who want to use the tools that they feel will work for them. Um, right. And it sort of sounds very similar with where, you know, IT is maybe coming in to say, look, you know, everything's connected. So we need to be able to have things in a sort of centralized space so that if we're, you know, someone needs assistance in some way, 
we're, we're there to be able to provide that single interface or we're able to track something across different business functions. So we need that centralization versus, you know, so as you were saying, shadow IT is rising and, and you know, HR might want their own solution or facilities might want a different solution and so on. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you see that sort of thing reconciled? Do you see it reconciled? No, we do. And this is to say, this is actually, I can argue both sides of this, um, but, but my personal opinion is, um, so let, let me give you two sort of simple examples. Example number one, um, IT, and again, thinking about it this from a tools perspective, IT uses um, service now, let's say. And uh, they then insist that HR facilities, finance, legal, everybody else uses ServiceNow as well. But then uh, one of those other teams might be, hey, this tool looks too complex. It's too hard for us to use. It's not intuitive. I don't need it. Anytime I need to make a change, I'm in a backlog of three months to get that change implemented. I want to go use this other solution instead of using AtSpoke as an example. I want to use Zendesk, for example. In that situation, um, there are some organizations that will say, no, you have to use our tool. Now, the challenge here is you're going to employ experience takes a hit. Adoption takes a hit and your support teams or other teams aren't particularly happy versus what if you're to take a solution saying, look, auditability, uh, identity control, access control. These are all incredibly important. So we will stay. So IT in this case will own that. I'll own identity governance across my organization. I will own uh, access control across my organization. But within each function, you can use the tool that makes the most sense to you. My personal opinion is that is going to be the winning posture over the next 10 years versus saying, hey, you have to use our tool. You're not, you're not gonna be able to, IT is not gonna be able to keep up with the number of tools out there. And you're, you're, it's a losing battle if you're gonna insist that everyone has to adopt what you say versus saying, look, these are the common things, that the common services, the common uh, areas that IT is going to own to ensure compliance, to, to manage risk. But beyond that, have at it. Yeah, and I think you've previously spoken about, um, I think you phrased it, the Cam Cambrian explosion of, of SaaS tools. Exactly right. <laughs> um, uh, Ian, um, as, as you've uh, advised companies in the past and so on, um, what have been some of the commonly seen barriers or risks that you've encountered um, as you've worked with companies? Yeah, it is a challenge because you're bringing a different way of working to people. And uh, unless that's well communicated, they can feel like it's, imposing something bad upon them is when you turn up and say, well, now work differently, use this tool, do this thing, be more, more managed and more audited and more visible. They may not necessarily think that's a good thing. So like any business change, you need leadership from the top. Uh, it's, it's a strategic move. Uh, it's a, it's a deliberate exercise to do this and it needs to be championed from, from the top. You can also uh, take, what's the phrase, poster child, uh, you can focus in one part of the organization and make sure that they are the showcase and the all the other departments look at them in the executive meeting and they go, wow, how are they getting those figures? Why are they doing so well? Yikes, we really do need to be doing this. I now see. And actually, I know I started saying IT is a bad thing to introduce this. Um, we've recently been seeing uh, the success of people working from home. I mean, next thing we're monitoring the the experience people have and also the perception they have, how they feel it is uh, to work with technology. And they're enjoying working from home and they're seeing that IT is doing a good job. So there is now a case for IT to be the poster child and say, 
we're not bringing you a big IT framework, but look how good we were over the last six months. Wouldn't you like to be that good? This is how we did it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Andrea, um, you know, you're you're in the thick of it. You're working with customers every day, um, maybe multiple customers every day, uh, you know, developing their ESM strategies and implementation, delivering implementation projects. Uh, what have been some of the commonly common risks that you see across all these clients? It's interesting what Jay and Ian said, because that's exactly what I'm seeing actually happening. So um um when when service lines uh, decide to 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 start having a technology which they can all use for the case management but then they they do not get it on board or or do not work together with it is this inclusion of them and us type of mentality within the 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 services teams um that's a big risk because and and i mentioned this briefly and i don't know whether we will have enough time in this podcast to talk about it um all these enterprise teams, including IT, they have to think about the customer experience from a customer journey perspective. So they want to, they should look at it to say, okay, we have how our services, um, uh, you know, are, which services of ours to which we contribute or which we deliver are part of this overall customer journey and what does that mean? Um, so if I'm an employee and I start working for a company, I obviously uh, get a, you know, go through a recruitment process, a hiring process, an onboarding process. Then I start working for a company and then I have to perform my role. In order to perform well in my role, I have to utilize some enterprise services, which will help me to, to um, you know, be efficient and a, and a good employee of this company to, to you know, make the company efficient. And um, then what happens if I leave that company? Um, you know, how are we going to to make that exit for various reasons uh, better? To start thinking along this this what I would call customer journeys and recognize how together all of them are contributing to it and what is it that they contribute. Um, I like Ian's comment about it that now the the the, the COVID uh, situation showed what IT does well, and I do agree that this is the right opportunity to to say. How can IT uh, be good and and without starting to talk about best practices, processes, service design, blah, 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 you can just simply highlight what is it that works for you. What works for us is, um, you know, what works for IT, I mean, is having good standards, having good processes in place, having good technologies, good platforms. The other big risk I'm seeing is... Um, wanting to do more, much more. So it's the, the, the classic, I don't want to sound too, too um, you know, commonplace with this uh, example, but it's the, I want to be a, a, I don't know, an Olympic sprinter before I can even walk. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm seeing that because there is also a danger that some of these enterprise organizations, they may meet a technology vendor and the technology vendor tells them everything the technology can offer. And then they get excited and then they go, oh, my goodness, we can do this and we can do that. And we can have the best predictive metrics and, and automation and, and everything. And, oh, my goodness, this is going to, to you know, be the best thing happening to us. But when it comes back to reality is 
We don't have services defined. We don't have end-to-end processes. Our SLAs are all over the place. We never really understood what dependencies, what de- um, you know, like interfaces we have between our different departments and teams. Um, we're still providing a disjointed answer. We still don't fully understand what part of our contribution in this overall service uh, provision uh, links up to what. First, you have to really sort that out, look into your your operating models, after all, um, understand what is it that you want to achieve and where do you start. And there is no shame. And I always try to encourage all my customers, all my clients, you have to reward yourself and celebrate your successes by taking the first step. Your first step could be, you know, identifying and understanding that we need one technology which can help us. Fine, then start with that and build everything around it. Start looking into how you can transform, how you can better in some of your areas uh, and, and then move towards that. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there because I think we're, we're starting to get uh, close to or possibly even gone over the, the one hour mark. Um, I'm not sure how much longer my our listeners would be patient with us. Um, but so 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 um, Ian, if if folks want to find out more about the work that you do at NextThink, or find out a little bit more about NextThink as well, and maybe uh, read into some of the research um, NextThink has published around employee experience and ESM, uh, what, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Andrea was talking about experience, and that's just such a hot topic at the moment. Our, our relationship with technology is so important. Um, nextthink.com. Go to nextthink.com, take a look at uh, what we do in terms of managing, monitoring, improving that experience for how people do work uh, and their perception of uh, their digital experience. Uh, Excellent. And uh, Jay, if people want to find out more about um, AppSpoke and what it means to have a a modern service desk tool and maybe read some of the um, reports and look into some of the data that you were referring to, what's the best place for them to do that? Um, at spoke.com, A-T-S-P-O-K-E.com. Excellent. Uh, and Andrea, if people want to find out more about Devo Team and, and the work that you do there and maybe read about some of your successes uh, working with uh, your clients and ESM projects, where, where can they do that? So definitely they can uh, con- uh, contact myself and also Devo Team, um, um, you know, the Devo Team website. But uh, one of the exciting things we are planning at Devo Team is later in this year, um, following the summer holidays, to run uh, ESM uh, workshops with, um, um, you know, like a, a different audience. We want to do an ESM roundtable where we showcase what is it that we have actually done. So move a little bit away from the theory and show the practice and, and show the learns, uh, the learnings we have, we have um, encountered from our clients and customers. But also, more importantly, one of the things I'm very proud of when we talk about Devo Team and ESM, um, Devo Team is very much focused on technology for people. And what that means is looking at the people side and the good side of technology. So when you think of Devo Team, think of hashtag tech for people. Tech for people. Interesting. Excellent. Um, so uh, uh, to our audience, if you want to contact me, um, the email address is ask at axelos.com. Uh, we'll be posting this, of course, on social media channels, tagging everyone uh, who's appeared here today as well um, to, to spread the good word. And um Uh, If you have any comments, uh, email us or or hit us up on social media. And so until next time, please stay safe. Uh, Remember to wear a mask and wash your hands.
presented by Axelos.